is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Democrats have a very cool idea. They want to hit billionaires with a minimum tax, and they want to hit multimillionaires with a surtax. Now, every state that's pulled something like this has lost these people to other states. If you're going to do this to corporations, we're going to lose these corporations to other countries. I don't know why this is so complicated. I really don't. And yet that's exactly what's going on. And Manchin's okay with a lot of this. And so apparently is cinema. Um, They're also looking at Social Security now, if they can get past this. If they can get past this. Social Security bill, popular with Democrats, it's known as Social Security 2100 Act. Um, They say as wealth concentration has become more prevalent in America, a couple of things lawmakers can do right now to offset, embrace this Social Security proposal. It comes on the heels of the Social Security Administration's latest estimate that the funds that support the program have 13 years to survive. Uh, At that time, people will get 78% of their promised benefits. The bill proposes extending the date to 2038 to give Congress more time to come up with a long-term solution. would incorporate proposals made by Joe Biden. Um... Let's see. Set a higher minimum benefit for low-income workers. Benefits would be set at 125% above the poverty line, tied to wage current wage levels. There's a benefit boost for both new and existing beneficiaries, amounting to 2%. Annual cost of living adjustments would be tied to the CPI. Um, The CPI, they think, is better than the rate of inflation. And so what, what, what does all this mean? 
first of all, we don't have all the details, but what does it all mean? It means that they're going to change Social Security rather than a pension plan. Now, uh, the, the benefits will be determined by who you are, what you are, what group you're in uh, economically, and so forth and so on. It's being pushed by, among others, the usual. AOC, the chairman of House Ways and Means, is crackpot from Massachusetts, Richard Neal. So this is my point to you. The American Marxist job is never done. It's never over. They want to fundamentally alter Social Security. And not fix it, alter it. I want to talk about this tax that they have in mind, if you don't mind, um, for the rich, quote-unquote. A fellow by the name of Henry Olson has a, a piece in the Washington Post. He's a pretty good columnist. Says the Biden administration's idea to tax billionaires' unrealized capital gains may sound good to tax the rich. Practice it would be an unworkable, arguably unconstitutional mess that could harm everyone. In theory, the idea is seductively simple and appealing. Billionaires and the super-rich possess massive amounts of wealth in the form of stocks, businesses, and frivolous babbles, such as uh, famous paintings or yachts. These assets appreciate in value, but their owners pay no tax on the value unless they sell it or realize the gain, as tax lawyers put it. Only by selling the asset would a person be able to convert the asset into taxable income. This means billionaires with appreciating assets can become hundreds of billions of dollars wealthier each year, but the government gets nothing. Now let's stop right there. Neither does the billionaire. Because until the billionaire converts that asset, the billionaire can't use it either. So if you put a dollar into stocks and it becomes a billion dollars, unless you actually do something with that billion dollars, it's not realized yet. If you own a painting, maybe you pay $1,000 for it, it becomes worth a million dollars. It's the same painting. It's hanging on the same wall. You can't do anything different with it. So it doesn't have a, uh, a realized gain. As I discussed the other day, if you own a home, your own home, and you're going to live in it for 20 years, 30 years, 15 years, and so forth, and the value keeps going up and up and up. Are you supposed to be taxed, a federal wealth tax, if you will, on the, on the value of the home, if, if you were to sell it, even though you don't sell it? It's bad enough you have localities doing their property tax assessments, but what about the feds? Well, that's the same thing. Under proposal, Democrats are considering that would tax unrealized gains each year as if the underlying asset had been sold. Ford estimates Tesla founder Elon Musk's net worth rose by $126 billion last year as his company stock price soared. But he surely paid almost no tax on that because he never sold the stock. Okay, so it's not worth anything until you actually do something with it. Biden's plan would tax all that rise, netting the federal government about $30 billion. Do the same for all the nation's billionaires, and the feds could pull in loads of cash without disturbing their lavish lifestyle. Not true. They would have to... Look... That could mean this guy, Elon Musk, would have to sell some of his businesses, would have to... uh... And and by the way, they're not stuck in the United States. They can go somewhere else. I can't think of a more preposterous plan that would force people 
to go overseas if they wanted to save their money. You're going to be taxed on income you haven't realized yet. Not all assets, he says here, if that sounds too good to be true, it's because it is. To start, not all assets are as easy to value as publicly traded stocks. Privately held companies such as Charles Koch, Koch Industries are notoriously difficult to value. Rare but valuable items are even more difficult to fix an annual price. Someone who owns a Leonardo da Vinci or Picasso artwork likely paid more than $100 million for it at auction, but it's almost impossible to assess what a unique work of art would sell for at the end of each tax year. Billionaires are precisely the people with the motive and the means to hire the best tax lawyers to fight the IRS every step of the way. Subjecting each tax return to excruciatingly long and expensive audits. Then there's the question of what to do with the capital losses. Expensive assets can go down in value too. And billionaires would rightly insist the IRS account for those reversals of fortune. This would lead to some politically uncomfortable acts if, say, a market downturn coincides with the end of a tax year as happened during the Great Recession. The U.S. stock market declined by roughly a third in 2008, with a low point at year's end, exactly when the valuations for unrealized gain tax would be determined. This would have led to billionaires marking up massive amounts of unrealized losses. Would the IRS have to issue multi-billion dollar refund checks to return billionaires' quarterly estimate tax payments? No president will want to be in charge when the IRS does that. And here's the kicker. The Constitution may not even permit taxation of unrealized gains. The 16th Amendment, and of course the Democrats are unfamiliar with the Constitution, the 16th Amendment authorizes taxation of income. And the definition of that seemingly simple word has spawned a long history of complicated case law. Whether something's defined as income often has to do with whether a person has complete control over a source of money that can then be used in trade, to purchase, or invest as one sees. Unrealized gains don't fit under the rubric because the wealth is on paper, not in the hands of the owner to use as he or she wants. In 1920, the Supreme Court ruled that stock dividends or splits cannot be taxed because they're not income. That's just one example of a torturous series of cases the court would inevitably have to consider to determine if Congress even has the power to tax unrealized gains. This is a wealth tax, folks. That's what it is. It's a wealth tax. And there's nothing in the Constitution that provides Congress with the power to tax wealth. But that's what it is. It's through the back door. Now listen carefully to this, because I warned you about this yesterday. If Congress does have that power, that is to tax something that's actually not yet earned... It will only be a matter of time before lawmakers apply the tax to ordinary Americans. Any, because there's an enormous amount of money. Basically, they're taxing the equity in your home. And most people would have to sell their home or borrow money on their equity to pay for it. Well, it's the same with a major corporation. They're not going to put the money into research and development. You know, this is all third world stuff. Anyone who owns a house or has a retirement account, has unrealized capital gains. Billionaires get all the attention, but the real money is in the hands of the broader public, as I keep saying. As the collective value of real estate and mutual funds dwarfs that of the nation's uber-wealthy, the government would love to get 25% of your 401k or your IRA's annual rise, And our nation's massive annual deficits and cumulative debt means it will need that money sooner rather than later. 
The unrealized cap gains will unlock a Pandora's box of problems. Better keep them under lock and key. I just wanted you to know somebody else agrees with me on this. You're in the target. The vast majority of money, believe it or not, is not in what billionaires hold. It's what the vast middle class holds. That's the target. You. Like the bank accounts. Why 600? Why 10,000? Why not a billion? You are the target. That's why. And the way the American Marxist rationalizes it is, hey, we're giving you all these benefits. Cradle to grave. Now, we'll keep talking about the billionaires and the super rich millionaires, but we need you. We need you. If you're going to get these benefits, then you need to pay for them. So when Joe Biden says anybody earning under $400,000 is not going to pay a tax, let me assure you, not reassure you, just assure you, that you will be paying this tax. You will be paying for this in the out years. And the out years aren't going to be that far away, just when Biden gets the hell out of office. If they want to tax unrealized capital gains, they're going to tax your pension plan and all you union guys with your pension plans, you too. All you teachers, you too. They're going to tax your pensions. The unrealized capital gain. And they're going to tax anything they can from all of you. The value of your home going up. Most of you have homes that increase in value. And they're not going to tax it just once. They're going to tax it every year. Year after year after year. How are you going to pay for that? How are you going to pay for that? You're going to sell your home and pay for it and you're going to be out of luck. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Show me, can anybody give me one example in any Marxist slash socialist economic system where the rich pay the freight as opposed to the quote-unquote masses? Can anybody give me one example? You know, Biden's been in office 10 months, seems like 10 years, 10 months. His policies and that of his party, and his party clearly is not really an American party anymore. It is, as I say, an American Marxist party. 
It, it has many of the same um, features as these uh, radical European parties. And in 10 months' time, the price of produce, meats, fowl, bread, in other words, the price of all groceries have gone through the roof. And the shelves are emptying. I did that little research myself going into one of our supermarkets here. They're not full. They're not full when you're getting milk. They're not full when you're getting yogurt. I don't eat yogurt, but I was walking around and looking. Another issue with the toilet paper and the paper towels. I went and looked in the frozen foods section. There you go again. People stocking up on frozen foods. And I'm thinking to myself, this is 10 months of profligate spending with a threat of massive taxation, dislocation of certain industries that have been targeted by this administration, most prominently fossil fuels, and the consequences are, are unbelievable. Now, what makes anybody think that by doing more of this, they're going to turn the economy around? They're going to make this a quote-unquote more just and fair country or economic system more just and fair? Where has this ever worked? It never works anywhere. It can't work. It's an impossibility. I wrote a whole book on it called Ameritopia. They put out these ideas of paradise. Paradise. Which is what Marxism does. Just surrender yourselves to the state. Just support the common interests, the best interests of the public. We'll have this temporary government. And then it'll, uh, of course, disappear, wither away. Of course, the temporary government never withers away. It's an iron-fisted, brutal, genocidal machine, uh, regime. Every damn one of them. So why do we believe that any aspect of this, if adopted into the United States, would serve you? Because they say you'll get free family care? Because they f- say you'll get free uh, child tax credit? Because they say they, you'll get free eyeglasses and everything else? I mean, that's not going to happen. The system is going to collapse, particularly with an open border. So it's you. You're going to suffer. Some guy can jet off and get out of the country if they're billionaires and so forth. Then we have billionaires like Zuckerberg trying to manipulate the election. Soros trying to destroy our country with with rabid crime and on and on and on. I'm just saying this is all aimed at you. The effect will be on you. I'll be right back. That allowed by law. The Mark Levin Show. Call now at 877-381-3811. I want to thank Newsmax, uh, Chris Ruddy and the team over there. John Fund actually wrote a terrific piece. It's in the newest edition of uh, Newsmax magazine. And... uh, They contacted me, said they wanted to do the cover story on me, and I was more than happy to do it. And uh, John Fun interviewed me, obviously did a lot of research, looked into my background, and I'm on the cover of it. So it's, uh, I'm assuming you can get it if you want to, Newsmax.com. That's Newsmax.com. It's the November issue. And uh, just did a fantastic job. The cover is... Mark Levin is fight to save America. Talk radio powerhouse. Marxism will destroy America. Is that really what we want in the greatest nation on the face of the earth? 
and um, they go through a little of my background, things that I did as a young man. They have a number of photos here. When I, when I served on my school board, Mr. Producer, I don't know if you've seen this yet, full head of wavy hair, and uh, but I was uh, even more outspoken, you might say. Some of you might say rambunctious. As a uh, 19, 20-year-old school board member than I am as a radio host, so people would really hate me. It starts out, a publishing phenomenon is dominating America's best-selling book list, but if you only read the mainstream media, you'd never know it. Radio host Mark Levin's American Marxism has gone through 13 printings and sold over 1 million copies in just 10 weeks. For every one of those weeks, it was the number one New York Times bestseller. All nine of Levin's previous books were bestsellers, with seven of them also hitting number one. Despite this sizzling record, American Marxism hasn't been reviewed by a single major publication. And uh, he goes on to uh, talk about Sam Tannenhaus, who used to do book reviews at the New York Times and actually did reviews uh, and had individuals do reviews for conservative books. But that's pretty much over, unless they're trashing it. Then he mentions Brian Stelter, the always agitated media critic for CNN, railed last summer against books by Levin and other conservatives, calling their popularity a display of our fractured State of the Union. And he dismissed Levin's book as a screed in which he just bitches and moans about liberals. Of course, you know that's not what the book is about. It doesn't even talk about liberals. Levin Vines, uh, Stelter's smug liberal superiority, both funny and dangerous. He, of course, has never read any of my books, and when he tried to write one, it bombed because all of it was bitch and moan about Fox News, Levin responds. More troubling is that the news media increasingly won't allow debate on the major tenets of their belief system. So they promote critical race theory, they lie for it, they celebrate it, they bring the radicals on TV to lie about it, too. John Fund of Newsmax says that the death in February of the legendary Rush Limbaugh left the void for the millions who turned to talk radio every week for a reliable diet of conservative opinion and commentary. Many of them are now tuning into Levin Show, which is syndicated to all the nation's top markets. Although it airs late in the day, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern, afternoon drive time in the West, it still has over 12 million listeners a week, making it only second to Sean Hannity. And despite intense competition from streaming platforms and podcasts, Levin dismisses claims that talk radio is on its last legs. He says if it's dead, why do they still keep talking about it? He says that a key su- success in radio is that he always respects his audience, always try to leave the listener with more knowledge and information than they had. When I point out he can be dismissive of callers, Levin says, if you're a fool, don't call me. I'll find you out. While Rush, and I added, while Rush was always polite to callers, I'm not polite to everyone. I have transparent responses to people saying idiotic things. That said, writes Fond, every time I've seen Levin at a conference or social occasion, he's been humble and soft-spoken. He responds that people often don't understand the talk radio business. Talkers, the influential trade magazine, I'm bouncing around for you, known as the Bible of Talk Radio, has described Levin as one of the most important commentators in America today. Its publisher, Michael Harrison, tells Newsmax, Month after month, year after year, Mark Levin proves that huge numbers and listener loyalty can be generated by purveying a serious uh, constitutional interpretation of current events and doing it outside of what is usually considered primetime radio hours. 
Levin acknowledged that he's been attacked by some liberals for calling his political opponents Marxists. He says, they want to claim that I'm calling for a new McCarthyism to purge liberals from our public life, but it's not liberals I'm after. They should be with me. People are defacing monuments to Lincoln and abolitionists, banning books, dismantling our history to push a racist ideology. When such people self-identify as Marxists, what am I supposed to call them? The Boy Scouts and, Bo- and Girl Scouts? And then it goes on. It was just a terrific piece. There's much more here, although this part kind of cracks me up. Let's see here. Just for When I asked some liberal friends what they thought of Levin, one pointed me to a 2016 book, and this was the book that I couldn't remember the other day, Mr. Producer, by Jeffrey Berry called The Outrage Industry. It cited Levin's style, which can include dismissing callers he finds stupid, hanging up occasionally on others, and accusing public figures of being unable to refute his reasoning. Berry's analysis scored 10 prominent hot radio and television programs on whether they used emotional display, misrepresented uh, exaggeration, mockery, conflagration, slippery slope, insulting language, and other factors. Now, this is a lib, of course. He found Levin came out on top, (laughs) utilizing outrage speech or behavior at a rate of more than one instance per minute. That's a lot, Mr. Producer. But come to think of it, shouldn't it be like five instances a minute? In their book, How Democracies Die, Harvard, Harvard University, and by the way, none of these professors have ever spoken to me. Harvard University political scientists Daniel Ziblatt and Stephen Levitsky accused Levin of helping to legitimate the use of uncivil discourse and adding to the erosion of democratic norms. <laughs> All this amuses Levin. He notes that a 20... Is this boring? Truly. I hope not. He notes that a 2014 study of the American journalist in the digital age found that only 7% of the reporters identified as Republicans down from more than one in four in 1971. The numbers for academics are even lower. 2018 survey by National Association of Scholars found that 39% of academic departments have no Republican faculty member. That's four out of 10. It also found the main ratio of Democrats to Republicans 10.4 to one after examining the political affiliation of professors from the top 50 liberal arts colleges. Levin said with a laugh, for me to be criticized by journalists and professors is completely to be expected. I'm constantly attacking their sources or their track record of almost always being wrong. It's true. One of the reasons that liberals tend to ignore Levin rather than debate him is they recognize his talk show is different than those of some other conservatives. Political scientist Dan Cassino notes that surveys show that among, listen, this is about you. Among all news outlets, including liberal shows, listeners to the Mark Levin program have the highest political knowledge of anyone, and it is the only show whose audience is 100% conservative. Does that explain why we never get liberal callers, Rich? I mean, it can't be more than 100%. But he says, among all news outlets, including liberal shows, listeners to Mark Levin's program have the highest political knowledge of anyone. That's you. That's you. And Casino admits the Levin show offered more of a legal process basis for what he says. He offers the same simplistic narrative, but he really does detail work. He has legislative proposals. One of his books was about exactly what constitutional amendments he thinks we need. Now, this is sort of a slap the back of the hand, but he is right. I mean, I, I dig into things, I think. I don't just superficially go through websites and so forth. 
And uh, he goes on further, and uh, I think you might be interested in it. You have a link to it, Mr. Producer? Is that what that is? It's a link to what? Oh, it's a release. Let's go ahead and put that up. And I think you folks will enjoy it. And I'm going to start uh, subscribing to Newsmax magazine. I mean, I don't subscribe to much. And I would have. I just didn't know it's out there just because I have other things. But I'm definitely going to do that because this was an honest, fair job by an excellent writer, John Fund. And um, I don't even get write-ups like this from friends most of the time. Do I, Rich? In fact, most of these conservatives, not all, but most have even ignored American Marxism. It's crazy. It's crazy because it provides you with so many answers to so many things. All right, I'm circling back. Kevin McCarthy on Fox and Friends today about this, this IRS monitoring you issue and so forth. Cut one, go. Remember what the socialist countries in Europe have done. They imposed a wealth tax, and France, Germany, and Sweden pulled it back because they, they realized it doesn't work. Remember, America has tried this before, alternative minimum tax, that only went in with a, with a handful of Americans had to pay it the wealthiest. And what happened as years progressed? Millions of those in the middle class had to pay for it. Remember what else is in this bill? 85,000 IRS agents. And remember, they say it's going after the wealthy, but if you spend or $28 a day, they're going after you. Yep. And you know what the number 85,000 is? That's larger than the population of Scranton, Pennsylvania, <laughs> the hometown of this president. And what are they going to spend their time on? Going after you. And it do, they don't think, oh, I'm not a millionaire. They won't come after me. Yes, they are. If you spend $28 a day, they're coming after you. And they're valuing what you have, the IRS. And we know it's an incentive for them to make the value higher just to tax you, whether you sell it or not or whatever the value is. That is not the America we believe in. That is not the American that the Constitution says. That's why we are fighting and we need people to join with us because we only need four Democrats to say no to stop this. And why do you think he's talking about $28 a day? Because of what Tim Scott said on my show on Sunday, which we only now realized. I thought it's a transaction of 10000 No, in the aggregate. If you spend $10,000 over the course of the year, you're subject to the IRS snooping. And your bank or financial institution or wherever you borrow money from reporting it to the IRS. It's an aggregate number. It's not every single transaction. So they'll add up all the transactions. Oh, it's $10,000. Okay, let's take a look. Well, that's everybody. That's what he means if you make $28 a day. Steve Scalise, uh, Scalise, excuse me, Steve Scalise, number two Republican in the House. Cut two, go. Hardworking families are paying the price for all of these crises that have been created by President Biden and his big government socialist agenda that we've been seeing this whole year, uh, whether it's the inflation that people are paying for every good and supply that they buy when they go to the grocery store, when they uh, try to renovate their houses, they're waiting longer for things because of the supply chain crisis. They're paying dramatically higher, over 40 percent more at the pump because of the energy crisis that President Biden created. The border crisis continues to bring thousands of people a day across illegally, including people on the terrorist watch list. Uh, they won't even be transparent about the numbers, how many illegal crossings, how many people on the terrorist watch list have come across our uh, border because of the border crisis they created by all of their far left items. Now, one more mansion on Capitol Hill today. I support everybody paying their fair share, but listen to what he means by that. Cut three, go. 
I support basically everyone paying their fair share of taxes, how you get to it, you know. Uh, and we all have a different approach to that, but as far as on the taxation, I think that corporations should be paying at least a minimum if you're doing business in the United States. I'm open to any type of thing that makes people pay that's not paying now. So people that don't report income like you and I do and earned income, there has to be a way for them to pay their fair share. There you go. He's bought in on the, on the earned income. You know, we pay earned income and so forth, but other people should have to pay too. Okay. That means he supports what is a violation of the 16th Amendment, the word income, that is on wealthy people or wealthy corporations, well, on corporations, period, uh, that have not actually realized the income. That is going to be a disaster for this economy, for you. It's going to destroy home ownership. It's going to destroy investment in, in, in the various industries and manufacturing plants in this country. Research and development is going to be killed. We're not going to be number one in terms of inventing new drugs and everything. This is, this is going to drag us back into a third world type environment. That's exactly what it's going to do, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to wreak havoc on this country. Because the people who are writing this are people who almost never have served in the private sector in the it's, it's just incredible. It's a wealth tax. And you're going to pay it every single year. And they're going to base it. Just look, it's not by accident. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. They want to muscle up the IRS. 85,000 new IRS auditors, right? They want to give it tens of billions of more dollars, right? They want to be able to get into your banking accounts. Or your whatever kind of account you have. They want to be able to get into that. They want to be able to tax you for the increased value of your IRA or your 401k even before you retire and you tap into it. This is what they're doing. It's like destroying ICE and the Border Patrol. They know you won't put up with them zeroing out their budget, so all they do is they tie their hands and tell them they can't enforce the law. So they're busy doing things that they shouldn't be doing. They should be securing the border. Okay, they're selling their entire, their entire tyranny by getting you to focus on billionaires when you better focus on yourself because they're coming for you. I'll be right back. Lovin. Well, America, apparently the Kate May Orca a.k.a. Chris Christie, touring the president and his policies on the Michael Medved show. Honestly, and I'm not trying to be rude, I didn't know Michael Medved had a show anymore. My bad. So Chris Christie's on there tearing into Trump and Trump's policies. What makes Chris Christie such an icon? Most of the Republicans I know in New Jersey cannot stand the guy. Is there something profound, he says? I mean, to me, he's got the face of a hamster. You know, the cheeks are always full, Mr. Producer. But is there something profound he's, he said? What, what, what is it that he said? He's the plaything of the never-Trumpers, the Peggy Noonans, the Paul Ryans, Fred Ryans. I know all about this clown. All about him. But he's exactly what the media like. You know, the media turn on. This, this guy's a dummy. See, he never learns. The media tried to force him out over a bridge. And he hung on by his fingernails. But he saw what they were capable of doing to him. 
Do I owe you something? Oh. Well, I don't have that here. I have something completely different. So the Cape May Orca, he's on, uh, I think, the ABC show or one of those shows on Sundays. Um, you know, he's got to play up to that, that kind of element, and he does. He'll attack Biden, of course, but he attacks all Republicans. He attacks Rubio, he attacked Ted Cruz, he attacks Donald Trump. Um, you know, the only, the only really legitimate Republican when it comes to policy and a record is Chris Christie. Chris Christie. Hey, Chris. You're not going anywhere, pal. You're not going anywhere. Remember New Hampshire? That's where you laid down the law that you were going to win New Hampshire? Republicans cannot stand you. Certainly I can't. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number 877-381-3811. You hear these attacks on Trump. They're going to pick up even among the uh, repubes, like Chris Christie and so forth, and the media. And they don't want you to know the true nature of this man. I wasn't even going to tell this story, but I'm going to tell you this story. It's short. Um, Last week, as my uh, brother-in-law went into surgery, uh, most of the family, I think all the family, thought he'd come out of it. He came out of it okay, but he had a massive heart attack. And then there were efforts, several, to revive him, and it it worked. But um, it got worse and worse and worse without getting into the details. Well, President Trump called him. President Trump called him, middle of the evening, I believe it was Friday. Could have been Thursday, but no, I think it was Friday. And the phone was put to his ear, as the whole family had done this. And President Trump told him that he should fight on, that the country needs him, that he knows he was an early Trump supporter, that he's greatly loved, by the family, and even him. And a few other words that I don't need to repeat. It went on for about 90 to 120 seconds. And then I got a call yesterday, around noon, from President Trump, saying, I heard that Joe passed away. I said, yes, sir, he did. And again, I won't repeat what he said, but he made some very, very compassionate remarks. And of course, in President Trump's life, he's met 
what, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and so forth and so on, but to take an interest in an individual here, there, and everywhere. And this isn't the only time he's done things like this. He's a thoroughly decent and compassionate human being who loves his country. And you know, he has the veneer of being very tough and very solid, and he has to be. He has to be, or these people would destroy him, which is what they try to do each and every day. And we're thankful that he fights. We're thankful that he pushes back. But I wanted you to know this. Because if I don't tell you, how would you know? That all these vicious and brutal attacks on this man are unbelievable. And in almost every instance, he's fighting back, he's pushing back, he's responding to an attack, something of that nature. That's the truth. And he did a hell of a lot for this country. Securing the borders, reviving the economy. He did a lot for minorities in this country, in minority communities and so forth. Uh, he recognized that China was the enemy. was, in many respects, in a box as a result of the things he did, and they were scared the hell out of him. Same with Russia. Same with Iran. Iran was on the verge of collapse. Now Iran is back. Because Biden and the Democrats are giving them sustenance. Even on the inbred in North Korea, was pretty much in a box. He wasn't firing missiles off. And nobody said he could do it, but Trump made a deal with Mexico. Where the Mexican army was stopping illegal immigrants on its southern border before they could even get to our wall. And our wall for the most part, to the extent it was built, over 500 miles, but the Democrats blocked the rest, was working, and it certainly would have worked if it had been completed. So many positives. He pushed the vaccines through with Operation Warp Speed. He was getting a lot of red tape from Fauci and the FDA and the CDC. He pushed it through as only he can. Therapeutics, very, very important. He pushed those through. There's so much when you think about it. He destroyed ISIS. I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking about it. And look how they talk about him and treat him and so forth. But I just wanted you to know, and many of you already know, but some may not, what a compassionate and kind human being he is. And the sort of thing he did with us, he's done many, many, many times. And... I just wanted to pass that along. I mean, to listen to this buffoon, blowhard, Chris Christie and these others. Meanwhile, Daily Caller. School district forcing parents to sign non-disclosure agreement-like forms to see critical race theory influence curriculum. Now, understand we have a Freedom of Information Act in every state, including in Virginia. It's a fairly liberal act. That is, it's a broad act. You're not required to sign a NDA, a non-disclosure agreement to see public information. Loudoun County Public Schools in Virginia has come under fire with local parents once again. After the school system revealed it is requiring parents to sign a form similar to a non-disclosure agreement in order to examine the district's new curriculum influenced by critical race theory. All right, so there, number one, Terry McAuliffe has said critical race theory is a dog whistle. It doesn't exist. It's not taught in our schools. And yet here it is. It's taught in our schools. 
because Terry McAuliffe is a is a disgusting slimeball liar. According to the form reviewed and photographed by the Daily Caller on Monday, quote, eligible parents must sign the non-disclosure document to see the district's new curriculum, which was created after the LCPS paid nearly $8,000 to become a licensed user of something called Second Step Programs, a curriculum created by the Seattle-based left-leaning organization Committee for Children. A limited preview of the curriculum was posted on the school district's website. Parents are not allowed to broadcast, download, photograph, or record in any manner whatsoever the curriculum, and presentations are only allowed to be made in person. Some of the curriculum is available on the district's website through downloadable files due to Second Step's copyright policy. Quote, I understand that the authorized presentation of Second Step materials I'm about to view is not a public event and that copying, broadcast, recording of any kind is not permitted, the form states. As the Daily Caller points out, I agree to comply with the terms of the above special license. The Daily Caller also found that the curriculum is not subject to standard Virginia FOIA, according to the school district's agreement with Second Step. All right, wait a minute. Second Step can't enter a contract that voids state freedom of information statutes. So I would encourage parents to continue to push and to do whatever you want with the information. And if they sue you or you can sue them, the Loudoun County Public School is partners with the Southern Poverty Law Center, looking at all these leftist groups, the Racial Equity Tools and Learning for Justice, all of which is copyrighted material. But Loudoun County Public Schools freely provides access to these materials. Scott Minio, leader of Loudoun County Parents Against Critical Race Theory, told the Daily Caller, why is there such a double standard when parents want to review Second Step SEL material in its entirety? They're, they're not free to do this. This is, a, uh, this is a head fake. This is intended, again, to, uh, to, to create fear among parents and so forth. You can't selectively decide, oh, this information, we can teach it to your schools, the teachers union can have it, the educational bureaucrats can have it, we're going to spend your money, parents and taxpayers in Loudoun County, to acquire it, and we'll show it to you, but you can't show it to anybody else. One of the primary focuses of Second Step is, quote, social emotional learning, unquote, which is rooted in the principles of criminal race theory. It's called Second Step, you see, because they're going to assume critical race theory has already been indoctrinated into these kids. And then they want to work from critical race theory, you see, to further expand it and radicalize your children. Committee for Children, the parent organization of Second Step, says SEL is fundamental to achieving social justice. Folks, these are classrooms, for God's sakes. At Committee for Children, we believe that social-emotional learning, SEL, is fundamental to achieving social justice. We're dedicated to advancing diversity, equity, inclusion, to becoming an anti-racist organization, to building a more just and peaceful world where every child can thrive. This means creating a culture of continuous learning and improvement. Continuous indoctrination. Where our people, programs, and supports reflect and address the needs of educators, diverse communities we serve and we hope to serve. The Loudoun County School District, and this is happening everywhere released a PowerPoint describing how all elementary schools will be required to implement this program in the classrooms by next year. By next year. 
Unbelievable. The massive amount of indoctrination. Now, I understand why the Marxists in this country have pretended this book, American Marxism, doesn't exist. I will never understand why conservative organizations and platforms, many of them, do the same thing. Many of you have acquired this book. I want to point something out to you when we return, something very important. I'll be right back. Lovin. If you've read it or you listen to it, if you have the audio, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. But let me summarize this in a very um, compact way, concise way. Marxism is an economic theory, for the most part. And without getting into all aspects of it, as I explained earlier in the book, it requires two classes, the pro- generally, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. The proletariat are the workers and so forth, the bourgeoisie, the landowners and wealthier people, managers. And so there's this constant struggle. And he talks about the, uh, the bourgeoisie eventually falling to the proletariat. Uh, he goes into these rather convoluted concepts about labor, profits. But it turns out it's not just about economics. He says that everything that has come before has been unjust. Everything that's come before has taken the wrong direction. You know, we have monarchy, we have feudalism, capitalism, which he hated, and so forth. And so he felt he had this whole new idea, which he stole in part, of course, from Hegel and Rousseau, and applied it purely to economics, which made it somewhat different. But it wasn't working in the United States. We had the Industrial Revolution. And despite what you see on TV and despite what you're taught in books and so forth, the Industrial Revolution created the vast middle class of America. And during the end of the Industrial Revolution and beyond, it created all these, these technologies and, and foods and systems and so forth that have made the middle class of America, so-called middle class, uh, the wealthiest people on the face of the earth, wealthier than the wealthiest people in 98% of the rest of the world. And so you're most, mostly satisfied. You're mostly happy. And so uh, the, what happened was they said, well, this isn't working. We're not going to be able to overthrow the American system this way. So there were splinter theories. And one of them, uh, came out of uh, Harvard Law School, a guy by the name of Derek Bell, who was a uh, average or worse law professor uh, in the 1970s. And he felt that we should basically apply this Marxist model to race. And many of his contemporaries thought he was unhinged, thought that he was a fringe ideologue. Thomas Sowell used to denounce him as really kind of a dumb guy who didn't make a whole lot of sense. But dumb or not, it doesn't matter. Over time, he taught enough people and then other professors joined in as they became more and more radicalized. Uh, And um, this is something that has now 
permeated throughout colleges and universities, starting in law schools and starting in the Ivy League schools. And it's called critical race theory. Now, why do they call it critical race theory? Because critical race theory, underlining the word theory, does not require actual data or statistics or proof of any kind. And they make that point. They make our story is a story of examples. Now, that's just perfect. Because you can always pick out examples of imperfection, of racism, of, uh, of brutality, of, of, of violence... Whatever the issue is, whatever the story, you can always point out examples. So they're saying, we argue by example. We argue by storytelling. What happened in 1860? What happened here? What? We don't want to hear about how many people fought the Civil War. We don't want to hear about... No, no, no. None of that matters. Moreover, if you disagree with me, you're part of the white dominant culture. In other words, you're a white supremacist. So it's a built-in immunization, as you would expect from Marxism, which is they're immunized from debate or discussion because if you hold certain views in support of the principles and the doctrines of our founding, then you're obviously a white supremacist. Even if you're not white, it really doesn't matter. Your mind has been colonized, imperialized, or whatever. Out of this movement also grew the transgender movement. Out of this movement also grew other movements like the climate change movement, uh, the degrowth movement around the simultaneous to the critical race theory movement in Europe in the 1970s. Different approaches, the splintering of Marxism. And it came under criticism originally from the Marxist purists, you know, the Maoists and the Trotskyite types and so forth. They said, this isn't really Marxism. And then they folded to it. One of them was Herbert Marcuse of the Frankfurt School. Originally, he didn't like all this, but eventually, he supported all of it. And he really laid the foundation for Derek Bell and the others, as he was writing in the 1960s and so forth. And he's an iconic figure. Obviously, he's dead and gone, but he was an iconic figure on the new left the Students for Democrat Action, all these violent groups, and he preached violence, and he was a tenured professor. And there are other professors who've talked about how to bring Marx into the classroom that I write about in American Marxism, and they have succeeded. And they've also succeeded in pushing out contrary views. They've also succeeded in this incestuous faculty, hiring faculty, uh, so they just keep reinforcing their presence and reinforcing their ideology. Well, now this is leached into the government schools, in elementary, middle, and, and the high schools, because the NEA and the AFT have embraced this, as has the Democrat Party. They've embraced it, and they're promoting it. This is what you see now taking place in our school systems. They're taking these, these Marxist ideologies, like critical race theory. They are attacking the American founding, by examples, by storytelling, uh, and they are creating a racist, segregationist society, and they want to brainwash your kids. And the Democrat Party is all in, and Biden's all in. And allow the county school board.
just in time for Halloween. The Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi nightmare continues. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Let me tell you what all this is doing in addition to the obvious. Let me quote Thomas Sowell about what all this is doing in addition to the obvious. Thomas Sowell contends that this system and approach is actually destructive of the very people who are said to be oppressed. In the context of multiculturalism, Sowell argues, and again, this is an American Marxism, quote, if the dogmas of multiculturalism declare different cultures equally valid, and hence sacrosanct against efforts to change them, then these dogmas simply complete the sealing off of a vision from facts, and sealing off many people and lagging groups from the advances available from other cultures around them, leaving nothing but an agenda of resentment building and crusades on the side of angels against the forces of evil. However futile or even counterproductive these may turn out to be for those who are the ostensible beneficiaries of such moral melodrama. So what's he talking about? He's saying this idea that there's a white dominant society and white supremacists, generally speaking, and then there are minorities or black people who are not the beneficiaries but the victims of this over the past hundred years is so destructive. The lack of diversity, the lack of uh, interpersonal activity and thinking, the lack of treating individuals and individual human beings, the lack of learning from other cultures, other ethnicities, other races and so forth, they're all destroyed. Because you're going in there and saying, these white people have privilege, these black people or brown people or red people and yellow people, they don't. Therefore, they're victims and oppressed, and they have been for hundreds of years. And you over there, you white people, even if you're not white, if you think like a white person, this is how they get you. If you think like a white person, you're the perpetrators. Now, we need to fix this. Fix what? It's an attack on the system. It's an attack on the society. Liberty fixes all things. But I argue in the book, critical race theory goes beyond arguing that different cultures are equally valid. It declares that society is a systematically racist, white-dominant culture and enlists those who are disaffected, dissatisfied, and malcontented into a growing legion of anti-American revolutionaries, where minorities are at a dagger point with quote-unquote white-dominant societal forces. This is a big problem. A big problem. Marcuse and Marxists spawned critical race theory in a seemingly endless list of disgruntled, ideologically driven groups. Discrimination is based on race, ethnicity, gender, sexual preference, economics, and a potential myriad of other diverse human characteristics, qualities, preferences, and circumstances. In fact, often individuals and groups are said to be victims of more than one kind of discrimination. This is what they mean by intersectionality. For example, if an individual is female, Muslim, and black, she is said to be subjected to multiple forms of discrimination. This has been given a name by, among others, University of California of Los Angeles law professor Kimberly Crenshaw. Intersectionality. Intersectionality. This is such a damnable poison. Such a damnable poison. Now, what is critical race theory? Again, professors Richard Delgado and his wife, Jean Stefanik, Stefan Sitz, 
both teach law at the University of Alabama, of all places. They say the CRT movement is a collection of activists and scholars engaged in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. The movement considers many of the same issues that conventional civil rights and ethnic studies discourses take up, but places them in a broader perspective that includes economics, history, setting, group, and self-interest, and emotions, and the unconscious. Gee whiz. Unlike traditional civil rights discourse, which stresses incrementalism and step-by-step progress, critical race theories question the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. After the first decade, critical race theory began to splinter and now includes well-developed Asian-American jurisprudence, a forceful Latcrit or Latino critical contingent, feisty LGBT interest groups, and now a Muslim and Arab caucus. Although the groups continue to maintain good relations under the umbrella of critical race theory, each has developed its own body of literature and set of principles. So like Marx... This movement openly disdains and rejects mankind's progress over the centuries, if not several millennia, which serve as the underpinning of American and society and other advanced societies, as well as racial progress made in our country, which is dismissed as an improvement by, for, and of the white privileged class. And by rejecting equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment nationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law, Critical race theory reveals itself as a radical dogma and a fanatical cause led by true believers. And there's certainly much more to read and say about it. But now we're in the second phase in the Loudoun County school system, but we know that's in many school systems because this is software that the county bought for $8,000. We're in the second phase. And there'll be endless phases. Did you ever think you'd see anything like this? Where the Democrat Party, the media, academia, are pushing an ideology that has as its purpose to overthrow the civil society. And obviously, American society. And the more people who are brought in here illegally from all walks of life, different races and ethnicities, the more they're going to be pulled into this, craze, this critical race theory ideology. The nation is balkanizing. It's tribalizing. And that's now starting with the brainwashing in our government schools. And this is exactly why the parents... In Virginia and other states have had enough. They know what's going on. They see what's going on. You do. Many of you have American Marxism and have read it. That's why you're using Freedom of Information Act. That's why you're going to the IRS. That's why you're going to the lawyers. And so that's why you're doing all these wonderful things. If the country's going to be saved, it's because of you. It's going to be because of you. This push towards... American Marxism actually has been going on for over a hundred years. It's just that it hasn't been called that and it hasn't been exposed or explained as such until now. Until now. And I've talked to you about Crowley, I've told you about Dewey, of course Woodrow Wilson and many others actually. But Dewey was extraordinarily prominent and influential in education. 
And he argued, as Marx had, that the nation's youth must be freed from existing mores, values, belief systems, traditions, customs, and the like through public education and made ready for another sort of programming. And why not? This is again in American Marxism. The classroom provides a captive audience of millions of children, a perfect setting for Marxist-oriented indoctrination. Dewey, like his intellectual peers, described this as applying science and reason. He wrote, under the influence of conditions created by the non-existence of experimental science, experience was oppressed in all the ruling philosophies of the past to reason and the truly rational. Empirical knowledge meant the knowledge of accumulated, uh, a knowledge accumulated by a multitude of past instances without intelligent insight into the principles of any of them. He said science is experience becoming rational. The effect of science is thus to change men's idea of the nature and inherent possibilities of experience. All right. What he's attacking here in plain English is the Declaration of Independence, natural law, God-given rights, unalienable rights, the founding of America. Science is the answer. I don't know, is Fauci the answer? Science is the answer. It says the effect of science is to change men's idea of the nature and inherent possibilities of experience. It aims to free an experience from all which is purely personal and strictly immediate. It aims to detach whatever it has in common with the subject matter of other experiences, which being common may be saved for further use. What's he saying there? Forget your experience. Forget the past. Forget your experience. Forget the past. Forget the founding document, the declaration. Forget all that. Open your mind to science. He says, from the standpoint of science, this material is accidental, while the features which are widely shared are essential. In emancipating an idea from the particular context in which it's originated, in other words, in clearing your mental state, and giving it a wider reference, the results of the experience of any individual are put at the disposal of all men. So be done with your own personal experiences, your own personal understanding of what it is to be understood. Thus, ultimately and philosophically, science is the organ of general social progress. In other words, as I point out, Dewey sought to relinquish what is and what has been for an ideology disguised as science as reason. There's no science to Marxism. Of course, the arrogance of the progressives like that of the Marxists is boundless which would one would expect from those who would rule over us. That said, to be clear, people of tradition, faith, and custom do not reject science or reason, but they do not worship them either. They have learned and experienced the value of eternal truths and past wisdom. That's what they hate. When you're going into these school board meetings or you're watching TV or whatever, these are mostly Marxist secularists. American Marxist secular. They don't want to hear about eternal truths they want to hear about faith and God. They don't want to hear about any of this stuff. All that does is reinforce the white dominant culture. The white dominant culture. Dewey framed his educational approach as both op- opening the student's mind and insisting on his obedience simultaneously. Or more accurately stated, opening the mind to surrender to indoctrination and conformity. Dewey declared the fundamental conclusion is that the school must be made itself into a vital social institution to a much greater extent than obtains at present. 
interest in the community's welfare, an interest which is intellectual and practical as well as emotional, an interest, that is to say, in perceiving whatever makes for social order and progress and for carrying these principles into execution is the ultimate ethical habit to which all the special school habits must be related. You with that, Mr. Producer? You see what he's saying? Now, earlier, yesterday, and I think, for, uh, well, definitely yesterday, I spoke at length about what they're teaching journalists. Last week as well. In other words, the Republican Party needs to be rejected. Conservatives generally need to be rejected. Enough of this you know, objectivity, enough of this impartiality or the efforts to pursue them. Enough of that stuff. It's got to take sides. And of course the side they take is the same side that John Dewey takes. The side that they take is the same side that AOC takes and Pelosi takes. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Journalism and education. These are now propaganda and indoctrination mills. By individuals who mostly think alike through groupthink, live similarly, have the same social circles, and really no connection at all with much of the American people. That was journalism that we discussed the other day, and today it is education that we're discussing today. It's all in American Marxism. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. folks again and again and again and again my life liberty and levin was the number one news talk cable show uh, primetime sunday evening and we're up against football so uh, that is quite remarkable and that's because of you because you tune in my radio audience you tune into uh, my fox program on sundays and i cannot thank you enough and as long as you keep tuning in i'll keep doing it you stop tuning in, I'll stop doing it. There's other things to do. But that said, uh, I think it's a very informative show. I think it's intriguing in some ways, fun and entertaining as well. And uh, that's because of the guests, because of the format we use, and because of you, my loyal radio audience. It's always because of you, frankly. All right, folks, I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. You remember when Nancy Pelosi ripped up President Trump's speech? She had a paper version. It was fun. She ripped it up, and it was neatly cut in the places to make it possible for her to, to rip it up. Despite her manly biceps, apparently she needed help. So we have a congressman by the name of uh, Duncan, who uh, on the 
House Flurry is wearing a Let's Go Brandon mask. Doesn't say F Joe Biden. It says Let's Go Brandon. And so CNN and the New York Slimes are very concerned about this. Cut eight, go. This is a single entendre, by the way. You explained it very well, what Let's Go Brandon means. But it's just a mask that says F. Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. That's what it's yes. doing. And that's yes. from a U.S. congressman on the House floor. Yes, uh, they're, I, very, I, they're very offended. A U.S. congressman on the House floor did that? That's very unbecoming. Now, these people use the F word left and right. Their favorite comedians use the F word left and right. It's all well and good. But a Republican congressman said, let's go, Brandon, which really means F. Joe Biden. No, he didn't have F. Joe Biden on his, on his whatever, mask, wearing his, uh, you know, it, it said, let's go, Brandon. Hmm. Now, Maggie Haberman is the fraud, the far-left fraud who writes for the New York Slimes. Did you know she's far-left, Mr. Producer? Very, very far-left. She's far-left. You know, I'm far-right, she says. But she's very far left, and she's supposed to be a journalist. Go ahead. It's a, it's, it's a huge breach of, of a norm that you would, I don't even know how to describe this as a norm, because this is just something that I never would have even imagined somebody was going to be doing. Wow, I would never would have imagined this. That's unbelievable. He never would have imagined it. She, I mean, excuse me, the birthing woman here. Go ahead with that message. But again, the goal is all about agitating. The goal is all about getting people upset. That's the point. I think there's that, that Adam Serwer column about the cruelty is the point. You know, mm-hmm. the trolling is the point, too. And, and that's where we're at now. But again, as you say, we are talking about a sitting congressman. As you say, we're talking about a sitting congressman. It's very, very, very troubling. The trolling, the, uh, you know, violating customs and norms, uh, this sort of thing. Do you remember when Talib... Uh, called Trump an MFR. Anybody remember that? Do you remember all the anti-Semitic stuff said by Talib and Omar and the rest of them? You remember Maggie Hammer getting upset about that, saying, I've never seen anything like that on the floor of the house. Never in my life. I've never seen anything like that on the floor of the house. She's kind of a Chris Matthews in a female drag. May I say that? I think I will. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that either. And, uh, but Maggie Haberman and uh, John Berman are very, very concerned about this. Now, where's Jeffrey Tubin these days, Mr. Producer? Isn't he back on CNN? Now, that is a breach of a norm when you're dropping your pants and doing what he did. That, to me, is the breach of norms and customs and all the other stuff, which apparently Maggie Haberman's okay with, because why? Because she's a CNN contributor. All right, let's get to somebody serious. Governor Ron DeSantis at a press conference yesterday. This guy is so damn sharp. He's thinking, okay, they don't want these cops. We in Florida, we'll take these cops and we'll incentivize cops to come to Florida. How about that? I mean, that really is sharp. Cut nine, go. No, 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 it is not. No, 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 no. It's for officers, period. It has nothing to do with their vaccination status. So that's just wrong. That's a bad. I think there was a headline from a from a corporate outlet, which we all know corporate media lies. 
Okay, they do not tell the truth. Assume what they tell you is false and then figure out why they're telling you a false narrative. We we um, I put that out there as a proposal months ago. And the reason we're doing it is because people are being treated poorly in Seattle and Minnesota and near NYPD. They don't have the support. They've had their funding cut. Uh, they are, they get criticized if they just enforce law. Some places they don't even enforce the law, like in San Francisco. They don't prosecute people shoplifting. So you have rampant crime. So that's why we're doing it, because morale is low. Morale is low for years because of how, how law enforcement's been treated. But when you saw all the rioting last summer, all the vitriol directed at them, Florida stood up and said, we back the blue. And so we are 100 uh, percent excited about saying anyone that's being mistreated, if the morale's low, if you can't take, take uh, that environment, and you have, we have openings here, you're going to get an environment where people are going to support you. Uh, and I think that that's something that's, and I can tell you the people that have come down from some of these places already, you talk to them, it's the best decision they've ever made. So we're looking to capitalize off a lot of communities across our country who have turned their back on law enforcement, who aren't providing them the support, where there's all kinds of different uh, problems uh, with, with just being able to do the job. So it has nothing to do, it will be available to anyone who comes. And so if people are trying to say it's a vaccine issue, it's not, has nothing to do with that. They've been mistreated for a long time. I don't think a police officer should be fired over, over shots. I don't think that that's correct. They've been out in the line, they've been out for, for months, a year and a half, two years doing their job. And we said that they were heroes for a while. And now all of a sudden some jurisdictions want to fire them. I think that's wrong for sure. Well, what would Maggie Hammerman say over at the New York Slimes, Mr. Producer? Well, he's just trolling. That would be different. That, that, that violates our norms. We don't do that sort of thing. We attack the cops. We undermine the cops. We brutalize the cops. We, we fire the cops because they won't be vaccinated. That's what we do. That's what we do to the cops. Systemic uh, racism among the uh, police forces in the country. So this, this governor is just trying to be a contrarian. That's all. He's just trying to be a contrarian. We're talking about a sitting governor after all. A sitting governor. God, I wish he was my governor. Don't you wish he was your governor, Rich? You're in New York, where you have a, uh, a hack who was never elected governor. But where there, there's so many governors like this all over the country. I mean, I can't believe we've got to defeat this guy, McAuliffe, don't we, America? Meanwhile, you hear how the, the governor, DeSantis, talks about the police office. John Oliver is, of course, a moron. Is he on the comedy channel still? I think so. Oh, is it HBO? Okay, even worse. And uh, you have to understand, these people are worth tens of millions of dollars. They have 20, 30, on a given day, comedy writers. Uh, They have people who go into the bathroom with them and wipe their you-know-what. But they're always down for the revolution. And I love it when this guy comes in with a British accent, which means he's purposely immigrated to the United States. I don't know if he crawled over the southern border or did it legitimately or what his excuse is. But I want you to hear how he talks about the cops. And to quote Maggie Haberman, this is really a, a mistake. This, is, this, is, this violates our traditions, our norms, our, uh, uh, yeah, that's it, our traditions. Did I say norms? Yeah, yeah, violates all that. All right, cut 10, go. A constant refrain we hear from cops every time they kill Why does he always black- sound like he's burping? <laughs> Let's start from the top, please. 
A constant refrain we hear from cops every time they kill an unarmed black person is they should have complied with commands. Because no, that's can... not the constant refrain that you hear from cops who kill unarmed black people. You're a sick bastard. You're really sick. I mean, it's unbelievable the kind of propaganda that these phony columnists push. Go ahead. Things will supposedly go well. But that only seems to work one way. Because when officers are asked to follow simple rules or face consequences, a not insignificant amount of them flip the So you know what? If an officer wants to quit over this, f***ing let them. Let the individuals who clearly don't care about public safety stop being in charge of public safety. It is really... Why don't you stop attacking the cops, you nudnik moron? You clown. Look at your teeth. They're yellow. We know where you're from. We know where you're from. That's right. You jerk. You're not even funny. We don't need lectures from jackasses like this. Stupid people who aren't funny. Phony comedians like phony journalists. That's funny. Maybe the police should not protect you. Maybe the police should not protect your building. Maybe you should fend for yourself, you idiot. Now, what if there's individuals who already had the virus and they don't need the vaccine? What do you think of that, clown? You're not following the science. You're a hack. And I've had it. I've had it with these people attacking cops. Enough of that already. Particularly John Oliver. John Oliver. John Oliver. Very bizarre. He sounds like another one, like uh, Brian Stelter, pre-Bubesson, I, I suspect. I understand he's a part-time proctologist. Have you heard that, Mr. Producer? Much like uh, Stephen Colbert, I understand he's a part-time proctologist. And I understand he's uh, in trouble for selling home colonoscopy kits. Have you heard that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. John Oliver with his home colonoscopy kits. To listen to these stupid people go on and on, but always trashing cops and wanting a laugh from the clapping seals in the audience. You know who he reminds me of? Ilion Omar, that idiot. That idiot. That bigot. That anti-Semite. Other than that, she's perfectly fine. Cut 11, right scoop, go. What we must also recognize yeah. is that the reduction in policing currently in our city and the lawlessness that is happening um, is due to two things. One, the police have chosen to not fulfill their oath of office and to provide the public safety they are owed to the citizens they serve. Now, this this woman is mentally deranged. Comes into the United States. We have open arms for refugees like this. And attacks the country from within. She's the enemy. Just listen to her. So the Minneapolis police, who were defunded in significant respects, who came under attack, the precinct was burned down, on and on and on. It's their fault that violence is rising in the city. Their fault. Now it's your fault, you jerk. You clown. You moron. It's your fault, Ilion Omar. You know what Ilion says backwards, don't you, Mr. Producer? Neither do I. I just thought you did. 
I'll be right back. Lovin. All right, let's have some fun, shall we? Yes, we shall. Glenn Youngkin ad. Now, what you have is the back and forth where McAuliffe defends Ralph Northam in his blackface and his KKK outfit uh, in 2020 after saying it was offensive in 2019. And this is one of the things that's really upsetting former governor of Virginia, Douglas Wilder, first black governor of Virginia, and so far the only black governor of Virginia. And uh, so it's the back and forth of Terry McAuliffe in 2020, defending Northam because he wanted his support, and then in 2019 talking about how he needs to go. Cut 12, go. A page from a 1984 medical school yearbook of Democratic Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia, showing a photo of two people, one in blackface, one in a KKK hood robe. Friday evening, it came out that Ralph indeed was, he said, he was in the picture. Friday night when I talked to him, there was a question if he was in the photo. At that point, for me, morally, the only right thing to do, and it was hard. I called Ralph on Friday night. He made a horrible mistake Friday night when he... Didn't know if he was in or not. If it's not him in the photo, which is what he's saying, why do you still think he should resign? Well, first he said it was Friday night. Do not know if it's not you. We know in Virginia. Instinctively, you know if you put black paint on your face. You know if you put a hood on. Well, he didn't do Ku Klux Klan. It's now come out he wasn't either one of them. It doesn't matter whether he was in the photo or not in the photo at this point. Listen, even if it had been him in the black face, you know... Dumb mistake 40 years ago. But this is more than dumb, this is racist. It doesn't matter how Terry McCall feels. That photo that was in that yearbook was so offensive to the African American community. Had he told me Friday night when I talked to him, I never would ask for him to resign. But, you know, we moved on. I grew up in New York and all fair, so I didn't know what that place was. I knew at a young age, blackface, 1985. You just didn't do it. If you're making an excuse for this, saying, oh, this is what happened when this person was young, you need to check yourself. What a fraud this guy is. Less than 12 months apart takes diametrically opposed positions on this disgusting governor of Virginia, like the disgusting lieutenant governor, the disgusting attorney general. But this idiot in Virginia, as you know, Northam, who can barely speak the language. Um, He confessed. And then uh, his lawyers got a hold of him, probably told him, hey, look, why are you confessing? I mean, nobody can really tell if that's you. And then he says, I don't even think it was me. And yet McAuliffe was right in 2019 when he said, "Uh, if you put black paint on your face or a hood on your head, don't you kind of know you've done it? And then he goes mealy-mouth, in 2020 because he wants the nomination. And again, this is one of the things that has greatly disturbed Doug Wilder, the former governor of Virginia and the first black governor of Virginia. Now, uh, the big lie of the 2000, the 2000 election, you know, they keep talking about, well, the Trump and the Trump supporters. And uh, the slob there, the uh, Cape May Orca, you know, he joins in and He wants to be on the in crowd. You know, you can see where 
Chris Christie was not on the in crowd most of his life. You know, you could probably see him as a little kid and teenager getting his ass kicked across the uh, the playground. Couldn't you see that, Mr. Producer? Quite a substantial kick that would require, too. I think you could break your toes, break your foot. In any event, we want to thank Grabian for a montage of Democrats embracing the big lie of the 2000 election. That wasn't a legitimate election. George Bush really isn't president. I wonder what Maggie Haberman thinks of that. Does Maggie Haberman think that was okay? I don't think that was okay. Does she think it's okay? Apparently she thinks that's okay. Cut 13, go. We won that election. Al Gore won the election. Al Gore was elected president of the United States. This wasn't counted. You know it. I know it. They know it. We won that election. There is overwhelming evidence that George W. Bush did not win this election. Do you think Republicans stole that election? In 2000, Uh I wish the United States Supreme Court had let them finish counting the votes. The Supreme Court denied the actual and accurate counting of the votes of Florida. If Catherine Harris, Jeb Bush... Jim Baker, and the Supreme Court hadn't tampered with the results, Al Gore would be president. An election has been stolen, robbed. It wasn't a fair process. It wasn't a neutral process. It was a process that was rigged against us. We actually won the last presidential election, folks. They stole the last presidential election. As we look at our election system, I think it's fair to say that there are many legitimate questions about its accuracy, about its integrity. How are you going to keep it from us being able to be in a position where you can manipulate the machines, manipulate the records? In Virginia, when I was governor, I had to replace all the machines. Too many voters have cast votes on machines that jam or malfunction. Wait a minute. How come they're not being sued? Obama, McAuliffe? I don't know. Did that involve the Dominion machines? I don't know. But why aren't they being sued? Wow. Look how they are such complete and utter hypocrites. Imagine that. Levin, a champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. Ennis. Ennis Cantor, NBA Boston Celtic Center, as you know. This guy really is a breath of fresh air, and I hope my buddy Stephen A. Smith is giving him the compliments that he deserves, because I'm sure most of ESPN is not. In the tank, in the tank. Cut 14. This is, again, Ennis Cantor, center for the Boston Celtics. Cut 14, go. Dear Nike, your company says that you are making a positive impact in our communities. And that is true. Yes, you are. Here in the United States, Nike stands with the Black Lives Matter. Nike stands with Stop Asian Hate. Nike stands with the Latino community. And Nike stands with the LGBTQ community. And Nike remains vocal about injustice here in America. But when it comes to China, Nike remains silent. You do not address police brutality in China. You do not speak about discrimination against the LGBTQ community. You do not say a word about the oppression of minorities in China. You are scared to speak up. Who makes your shoes in China? Do you even know? 
There are so many forced labor factories in China. For instance, Uyghur forced labor in modern day slavery, and it is happening right now in China. Millions of Uyghurs are currently detained, sold, and assigned to work at forced labor camps, prisons, and factories across the country. They are, un they are under constant surveillance with long working hours and poor living conditions. They are subject to political re-education. They have no freedom of expression, no freedom of religion, and they are not even able to leave. Subject to political re-education, no freedom of expression, no freedom of religion. Well, sounds like the nirvana the Democrat Party wants to impose on our country. Ennis Cantor is a courageous man. He's taking on the NBA, he's taking on Nike, and he's taking on LeBron James and Michael Jordan, neither of whom have the guts to say what he's saying because they like the money. That comes from whatever type of slave labor camps produce their sneakers. It is shocking that we talk about slavery in this country that was ended in the 1860s with the Civil War. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but it is shocking to me that people who bring that up, like LeBron James, utterly ignore modern-day slavery. Modern-day slavery. Cut 15, go. Did you know that almost the entire apparel and footwear industry is tainted by Uyghur, Uyghur forced labor? Many well-known global brands are implicated, and yes, that includes the one of the NBA's biggest sponsors, Nike. Nike claims that they do not allow any forced labor in their supply chains, yet they don't have the receipt to prove it. They have not publicly committed to cutting ties with the Chinese government's labor transfer regime. They have not provided clear timelines or updates about their efforts to end this. They have not publicly committed to the steps outlined by the coalition to end Uyghur forced labor. Don't forget, every time you put those shoes on your feet or you put that t-shirt on your back, there are so many tears and so much oppression and so much blood behind it all. Nike likes to say, just do it. Well, what are you doing about the slave labor that makes your shoes? That slave labor that makes you rich? To the owner of Nike, Phil Knight, I have a message for you. How about I book a plane tickets for us? Let's fly, let's fly to China together. We can try to visit these slave labor camps and you can see it with your own eyes. LeBron James and Michael Jordan, you guys are welcome to come too. Nike must be a participant in this. Stop with hypocrisy. Stop the modern day slavery now. Wow. How do you like that? Takes on these fraudulent icons, takes on his own league. This man has guts. You don't have to agree with everything he says about black lives. doesn't matter. This man has guts. Ennis Cantor. He's got morals. No excuses. Slavery is slavery. Torture is torture. Brutality is brutality. And again, how do LeBron James and Michael Jordan get away with their hypocrisy? How do they get away with this? Because they're superstars and they're not going to be questioned by people at ESPN or 
Fox Sports or NBC Sports or whatever the hell else is out there? So many of them. Is that the game? This man should be celebrated. Not because I agree with everything he says, I don't. As I said, I'm no fan of Black Lives Matter. It's a Marxist organization that wants to overthrow the country and is part of the BDS movement against Israel, among other things. So, but that's beside the point. That's not my point. My point is this guy is taking them on. The League and all the rest of them. And how do they justify this? Again, we ought to talk about slavery that occurred in the United States. We ought to also talk about what it took to end it. But there's slavery going on today, and the NBA is helping to finance it. And LeBron James and Michael Jordan are helping to finance it. Direct benefit from it. And those who run Nike commercials, I don't know, I assume they run them on ESPN, they benefited from it too. So what's the deal? If slavery is bad, why not speak out against it? Or are these people sellouts? Well, I answered my own question. They're sellouts, are they not? They're sellouts. By the way, what are, what's happening to the American citizens in Afghanistan? Remember they said there's about 100 of them, Mr. Producer? About 100 of them. Turns out we're now told there's 439 of them. Not to be confused with 440 of them. So there's the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, somebody named Colin Call. And, uh, you know, some of them want to get out. Some of them don't want to get out. And how do they know that? You have to be out of your mind to be an American citizen, not want to get out of the Taliban hell. Cut 16, go. In terms of how many American citizens we estimate are currently in Afghanistan, uh, the Department of State uh, is in contact with 196 American citizens who are ready to depart and arrangements are being made for them to do so uh, either uh, via air or over ground. And another 243 American citizens are, have been contacted and are not ready to depart either because they oh, want to okay. stay in well, Afghanistan or aren't ready. No, the current the question- oh, really? What about their family members? That's why most of them are staying. It's not that they aren't ready or they want to stay. It's because they have family members. They're not going to leave them there. And I don't even know where they get these numbers from. They don't know where they get. They pull them out of their ear. They pull them out of their ear. And, of course, this is not even discussed anymore. It's not even discussed by the major media anymore. Pasaki's not even questioned about it. One final clip. Maisie Hirono. You know, no matter your past, no matter how stupid you are, no matter how rude and what kind of an ignoramus you are, you can get elected to the Senate too, like Maisie Hirono. Think about it. Cut 17, go. Did I hear you say that Al-Qaeda and ISIS-K are developing the capability to attack the U.S. within two years? I said was that the current intelligence community's assessment is that ISIS-K could potentially develop a capability within 6 to 12 months and that Al-Qaeda could potentially develop that capability within 
one to two years, but it's precisely that threat that we need to remain vigilant yeah, against. So well, I'm very vigilant against it, and I'd like us to disrupt it. How, how are you going to be vigilant against it and disrupt it, Mr. Undersecretary of Defense for Policy? They don't have the ability to do that now, ladies and gentlemen. So now we're told that ISIS-K, not to be confused with the rest of the alphabet, that ISIS-K will be able to hit us in six months to two years. Borders wide open. We have massive numbers of military personnel who are on the firing list. Same with police officers. And then if we're hit again, we will be hit again. Everybody, these same politicians, what happened? I don't understand. What happened? What's going on? Apparently the ISIS-K and Al-Qaeda don't believe in diplomacy. Imagine that. Go ahead. How do we determine whether they have the intention or the will to attack once they have the capability to do so? Well, I think we are actually fairly certain that they have the intention to do so. Uh, and I, I think the committee had the opportunity to hear from the intelligence community in a classified setting uh, not too long ago, and we can follow up in the closed session. But we have considerable evidence that they have the intent. The question at the moment is the capability. Well, they have much more capability now since they have all of our weapons, don't you think? They have a country to operate out of? We don't seem to have a country since the Democrats and Joe Biden think the border should remain open. If a country doesn't have enforceable borders, I guess it's not a country anymore. People coming into this country, we don't know anything about them. The getaways. Oh, we have known getaways and unknown getaways only under the Biden administration. Who are they? Well, they're unknown getaways. How many? Hundreds of thousands, maybe 400,000 or more. Oh, unknown getaways. Uh, they have the virus? Could. They have the measles, could, have tuberculosis, could. Okay. And uh, are some of them terrorists? Could be. Who knows? They're unknown getaways. This is sick. Absolutely appalling. And then I see these Democrats out there who slobbering around. They want to vote for McAuliffe. Or they can't wait till the next presidential election to reelect some. I don't think Biden will be running again. Um, but you get my point. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Tomorrow, Richie V will be here, Mr. Call Screener. Does a very nice job, and we appreciate him and thank him. Along with Mr. Producer, Richie, yes. We have a lot of riches around here, don't we, Richie? And Rich? Then we have our man Richie in from WPHT, and we have three Richies at one time. Very interesting. WBAP, Valerie in Plano, Texas. Valerie, how are you? Hey, Mark. It's great to talk to you. It's daunting. Daunting to wait, but it's worth it to talk. Thank you. How many people live in Plano now? Oh, my goodness. Probably 300,000. And, boy, that's a guess. I'm, I'm not let me, sure. Let me tell you something. Years ago when I was at Texas Instruments, when I got out of law school and then went into the Reagan administration, I, thought, I almost bought a little house in Plano. And the population was, I think, twenty or 25,000. 
Isn't that amazing? Yes. Anyway, nobody cares. Go right ahead. I uh, just uh, wanted to tell you that I, I met you actually years and years and years ago. Um, really? I lived in Reno, Nevada, and um, worked on Ronnie Reagan's uh, committee, Grassroots. Yeah. Uh, I think I was about in the 20s. I think I'm a little older than you are. Yeah. And uh, I think you were just a puppy. The, yes, the I guy, was. Um, <laughs> uh, the fellow that was uh, kind of heading things up was um, Paul Laxall. Oh, yeah. And he was best friends, with, best friends with my best friends, Jack and Marianne Christensen. Really? And they got me, got me into it. So where did and, we meet? Uh, you were there for oh something. Yeah. A, a committee meeting or who knows what. And yeah. I just happened to be on the sidelines, and they introduced me, and I said, hi, how are you? And, of course, you were busy. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, gather a couple of extra uh, votes for Ronnie when uh, he was just, like I say, this was uh, the primary, and drove up to Lake Tahoe a couple of times to get him for, from people who couldn't get to the polls. Can you can you believe forty years ago, Ronald Reagan was elected president, and now we have this mess on our hands? He he would be appalled. I mean, he defeats the Soviet Union. We have the greatest economy imaginable, as as Trump did. Did so many magnificent things, and now look look at the direct we have: the Biden, Obama, collar fronting. I mean, it really they bring out the dregs. Thank you, my friend. I really appreciate it. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. I will see you on Thursday. Please tune in. Richie V is all set to go. And be safe. God bless each and every one of you.